This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. I am joined with Jim Sebastio. We're going to get started here in just a minute. Before we do that, you can go to practicalshepherding.com. You can access all of our resources that are there. Uh, we've got some new books that are coming out. You can go to the book page and articles and other podcast episodes. We are also about to uh, launch an expansion of the Shepherd's House. There will be multiple locations, probably in the next month, that you will be able to come to for free, two days and two nights. But in the meantime, you can sign up now to come to the Shepherd's House in Kentucky and stay two days, two nights for free with us. So go to the Shepherd's House link there. And also, uh, for pastor's wives and other women who are in ministry, we have a women's side of the ministry, and we've added to our staff to try to help with the, just manage the capacity and increase our capacity to be able to serve others. And and so if uh, if you are a pastor's wife, please reach out to them in, in some way that they could be a help to you. Uh, we get a lot of requests from social media and people writing in wanting us to cover certain topics. And we saw this topic and we thought that would be a fun thing to talk about. And so that's what we're going to do in this episode. And that is, Jim, what's some bad pastoral, what's some bad advice we have been given about pastoral ministry. Well, we talk about our mentor, both of you and I have had really good mentors at different points mm-hmm. in our lives who cared for us and taught us and shaped us. And I know we're both really thankful for that. But I assume we've probably gotten some bad advice about how to be a pastor and how to do ministry. And so uh, when we saw that topic, I thought, oh, I thought to myself, well, I definitely have gotten some really bad advice. Uh, it, the bad advice helped shape the way that I even end up doing ministry. It ended up being a good thing. So that that tells me that might be a good thing for us to talk about today. Don't you agree? Uh, I do. Yes. So why don't we let's go to text first, though? I mean, just what's what's kind of a, a categorically? How do we have this conversation? Just in thinking about what what the New Testament does tell us about how to how to uh, pursue. Well, I, I'm going to go to the old. I'm going to go to the Old Testament All right, with we'll this here, Brian. But yeah, you know, one of the things that I, I and I want I hesitate in using a text like this, but. Let me give it and then kind of explain what I'm saying with this. Okay. But uh, Proverbs uh, 13:20, he who walks with wise men will be wise. That goes on to say that a companion of fools will be destroyed. And but you know he walks with wise men will be wise. And that is, and the Bible talks about that there's safety in a multitude of counselors. That there's wisdom in listening to others. Uh, but the Bible also makes it very clear that there are bad counselors. And what, the reason I hesitate in bringing this out is that you know this counsel that I think ultimately we say was bad counsel didn't come from bad men. Um, there are bad. I think in Proverbs when it's talking about bad counsel, it's often talking about wicked men who uh, have wicked schemes. And uh, but this is at least in my case, you know, some of the bad advice I've received was been from really good guys who had good intentions or had experienced hurt. Uh, but the more I meditated on what they had to say, or the more I saw the effect of their counsel, the more I recognized it needed to be rejected. So I'm going to I'm going to have I have several matters here, uh, and they're going to cover a bit of a spectrum on okay. how bad the advice was, or uh, or who gave it. So well, let's just we'll just jump in. Let's go back and forth. So I'm going to start because I got a doozy. <laughs> okay, all right. So I was 21 years old, serving on staff at a church, and. I mean, you know, it was a larger church. I was in the youth ministry, but I had, um, I had a one of the pastors of that church during a prayer time tell me that I was. I, I'm trying to remember what I was, what I was struggling with, or what was going on in my life. But I had something really difficult happening in my life, and his encouragement to me was, 
this bad thing was happening to me because I didn't have enough faith. And so I just needed to have more faith and then that was going to fix it. And I was 21 years old. I had no theological categories whatsoever. Um, I had no nothing to say. Wow, that doesn't, I don't know how that's wrong. But I remember hearing it and it just resonating in my spirit of like that, that can't, that can't be right. I, I mean, it was a, it was a charis- it was a, it was a Baptist church that had a lot of charismatic leanings, and mm-hmm. and there was a there was a you know kind of health wealth uh, theology that existed in certain circles, and I just happened to get one of the one of the pastors of the church who held, who held to that view and and told me at twenty one years old that you know you just you just got to have more faith, and that's gonna right. you know take care of that. And and I look back on that, and th- I mean just. Thankful that God, uh, I mean, preserved my faith because, you know, if I take that to heart and think that that's really true, I mean, that just sends you down a whole nother. I was very impressionable. Again, I, I didn't know my Bible. I had no theological categories. And what's interesting is as I served on staff at this church and was in that environment, mm-hmm. even though I didn't have that any kind of foundation whatsoever. I mean, like I loved Jesus and I loved people. That's about all I knew. Mm-hmm. And... Just hearing it though, it just like it didn't resonate in my spirit as true. It's mm-hmm. like that that just I don't know why it just doesn't. So mm-hmm. I think God protected me from believing mm-hmm. really a, I mean, a false doctrine, certainly mm-hmm. in that way. So all right, so there's my start. Twenty one years old, you got to have more faith, and it'll take care of everything. So well, all right, one piece of bad advice for you. Okay, so I was also I think uh, probably twenty one uh, at this time. Uh, knew I wanted to be a preacher of some kind or other. Uh, I had the opportunity to spend some time with a man who was a fairly well-known conference speaker at that time. Uh, he had been a missionary, and uh, uh, but he was primarily known for being really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a missionary, he had come up with a whole host of cannibal jokes. Ah, uh, as a missionary, yeah, as okay. a, as a missionary, so. You know, uh, you know what happened to the uh, charismatic cannibal. Oh no, you're about to give he, one of the jokes. Know, yeah, he, he threw up his hands. <laughs> oh wow. You know, the, you know the, that kind of stuff. Okay. And, and but and, you know, the, there was a whole bunch of these jokes he had. So there, I doubt anybody listening would. This was so long ago. This was forty years ago. Uh, but anyway, uh, I had an opportunity to speak to him because uh, his nephew was my roommate in college for a time. And uh, so, uh, you know, I knew he was a man of some reputation and spoken. I just said to him, uh, uh, brother, you know, uh, I want to be a preacher one day. Can you give me any advice? I'm preaching the word, how to have a long and faithful you know, ministry, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, his statement was, you need to come up with your own set of jokes. He said, now me, I've got the cannibal market kind of, you know, <laughs> and, the cannibal and, you know but you got, yeah, I don't know if that's the term you use, but you know, <laughs> but you know, you got to find your own, you know, your own sense of humor. You, but I thought, I just remember, you know, walking away feeling just kind of sad and disappointed uh-huh. that yeah. of all the things to tell a young preacher, uh, you know, to, to focus on humor. Now, again, I enjoy laughing. I enjoy telling jokes. So you know, you know that. Uh, but, uh, but in the pulpit, that's not what I want. Uh, that's yeah. not what I want to be known for. It's not what I want my ministry to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, enhanced by. So nice. That's a good one. That's a good one. Okay. So here's another one for me. I had uh, a pastor, and I was, you know, I was in my early twenties. I had a pastor walk me through the strategy 
on how you manipulate people's emotions at the end mm. of the service. Yeah. So you get more of a response for people during yeah. the invitation. Like yep. very just a la Charles Simeon or Charles Simeon, Charles, <laughs> Charles not Charles Simeon. Charles, Charles Simeon Finney. just came up from the grave to <laughs> no, smack man. you. No kidding. Not Simeon, uh, Finney, Charles Finney. And, and just that kind of approach to yep. getting people to respond. And so, um, and I remember just sitting and listening to this and it was, I mean, on one end, I think, I mean, I think Finney, though that was his approach, um, I mean, you know, he was he was masterful at it. This this guy almost is explaining it, almost a bad version of yeah. of, of Finney and, and how he was approaching it. But again, I, I was young and I, did, I hadn't been taught any different. And it was just fascinating. But, but again, and it was in that moment, it was interesting. It was like thinking, okay, so I'm, I mean, like 23 years old. It, yeah. it, it just, and... I didn't have the boldness to kind of ask, you know, I was just kind of listening and things, but I think if I want to, what later having to try to wrestle with it, it's like, well, if you have to manipulate their emotions, are they, is it really a genuine response right. to people? And, you know, of course uh, there's, there's all kind. I mean, a lot of people would say, well, yes, if we, you know, if they make the decision, they make the decision. And of course I don't feel that way at all now, but, um, but I remember, I remember vividly just the way he was the, the, just kind of the gimmickiness of it that was uh, that was just didn't re- didn't resonate right. in my spirit as one helpful, but two authentic in any mm. way. And so, but I do I remember the first time. I mean, I was in these I was in these kind of circles. I was in you know very art very uh, Armenian atheological circles. Yeah, and this was I mean borderline charismatic at different times. And this was uh, some of the things that that we were dealing with. So I learned early on, Jim how to manipulate the emotions of people during the altar call so yeah. that they would come forward. And of course, anybody who knows my ministry knows that, I mean, that's the, the exact opposite of how I've functioned as a pastor for 25 right. years. So, yeah. all right. Well, yeah, I, I I'm going to follow up on that okay. real quick. Yeah. I was at a, cause I had similar, well, it wasn't necessarily advice, but I was told this, uh, at a, I was a part of a camp ministry for years up in upstate New York as a counselor. And then one summer as a youth director and, uh, the youth director, during one of the previous years that I was there, made the comment. He said, you know, we're going to run the kids hard, get them ragged, uh, get them tired so that they'll be ready to cry. <laughs> and the idea was we're going to have kind of a maudlin uh, appeal to their emotions. And if they're weary enough and tired enough, uh, we can manipulate their emotions into, you know, they'll remember, you know, and then make some kind of a public uh, commitment. All right. So, all right, you um, go next. All right. So, bad advice given from a great man. Okay. Uh, and this was following a period where this man had been put out of ministry. Uh, and he and his wife were staying, my wife and I were staying at their home while traveling once. And they, and they said to us as we were sitting around the table one night, don't make friends in the church. Oh, you took my one. My one yeah, of mine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Great. but Explain don't them. yeah don't don't make friends in the church and they 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 had suffered so much hurt, they were in so much pain. I don't think you know I never got the chance to ask again years later. You know, would you still hold to that advice? Because I think they would probably say no. I was speaking out of the rawness, but they were like basically urging us. And I was new in the minute. I'd been a pastor at that point for three years or so, two three years. Uh, and the the recognition that you almost have to have a separation between yourself and the people to guard yourself emotionally. You have mm-hmm. to build an emotional wall 
uh, because of the potential of how badly they can hurt you. Yeah, no, that's that's and it. that's obviously true. I mean, you <laughs> you are love is risky. Uh, love is painful, and love is risky. Yeah, uh, but it's worth it. It's worth the risk. Yeah, no, that that was one of the ones that was on my mind because I've gotten that same advice, and it isn't it interesting, Jim. I mean, that advice I've heard it a few times, and and from yeah, not bad men, but. It's interesting that every one of the men that have shared that advice with me are coming from a deep place of being wounded in a church from it. Right. And that was their conclusion, you know, their conclusion to it. Okay, here's here's one you'll get a kick out of <laughs> since since you know well how I how I approach and how I teach how to go and revitalize churches. Right. Uh, this advice I got um, was when you go, when you go in as a new pastor and you go in as soon as you start, the first thing you do is you clean house. Right. Like like you just do take advantage like they they're gonna you know they're gonna let you do that first this is the first advice so because you're the new pastors come in and change everything that needs to be changed right, right. away kind of rip the band-aid off and then you get to start where you want to start and I remember hearing that advice and of course I was you know I remember hearing it and I was far enough along revitalization work that I, I knew that that was a really bad idea. Mm. And the exact, the, literally the exact opposite. Like people who are listening to this who know me know that I say the exact opposite and really like harp on the fact that you don't go in and change everything. Like he's like going, like going and whether they're good or not, just just fire all your staff. Like almost like treat it like you're, you're a college football coach and you're going to come in and clean house and bring your own team in kind of thing. Mm. And it's interesting in, in a lot of... Um, in certain churches, that is the approach, especially larger churches that somebody's coming in, functioning like they're kind of coming in as the new CEO. Right. Uh, there, uh, I, I remember serving on staff at a church, and when a new pastor would come in, there was just a general fear around the whole staff on what's going to happen. Is he going to bring his own folks in and all right. this kind of stuff? So that is a mentality out there. But I, I remember, yeah, just change everything. You know, fire everybody. You know, start from scratch. And I thought, what? What horrible, horrible advice that is, uh, if, unless you really just want to destroy a church. So mm. um, anyway, so that was that sticks out in my mind with all my revitalization work uh, that I do. All right, what's another one for you? Uh, you, uh, you may find this one interesting. Jim, you can only stay five years at a church because there are only five passages for Christmas and five passages for Easter <laughs> before you start I, repeating I, yourself. That's strong. He had come to the conclusion <laughs> that that is basically, if you preach five incarnation sermons or five resurrection sermons, you have exhausted the contents wow. of the Bible. And because you don't want to repeat yourself. We all know that. So, uh, you know. You're right. You don't want to repeat yourself, which reminds me of a, Maybe I could tell this here. Um, I had a guy ask for advice one time about preaching. He said, I'm, 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 I'm going to preach a trial sermon at a church. And, I, and he, you know, I, I won't mention what book. He said, but I'm thinking about preaching it from you know, this passage of this, of this book. He said, my fear is that if they hire me and I become their pastor, and I then, a year from now, preach from that book, and I come around now and I come to that passage— what do I do? Because mm. I already preached it. And mm. I was like, dude, 
nobody's going to remember. Right. You know, right. you probably, you may be the only person that remembers. I tried to be more gentle with him, and I said, well, listen, the congregation will be more mature, and you'll be more mature, and it won't be the same sermon. No, so, No doubt they hung on every word four years ago on that exactly sermon. Exactly right. By the, probably can by the guy who came again. in and did a trial sermon. But <laughs> anyway, I just thought, you know, that even the thought that, you know, everybody's going to remember what you did five years ago. But, uh, you know, one of the things, Brian, you know, when I was first interested in, in ministry, and I, I remember being really overwhelmed by the thought that, you know, to preach at the same congregation for 10, 15 years, I mean, even for two or three years, uh, and preaching all these different sermons, I mean, uh, 200, two, 300, 400 different sermons, and yeah. not just what I originally intended or thought I would do is be an, a, a, an itinerant evangelist and have 30 or 40 sermons in my briefcase and just preach those over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you, you come to realize the inexhaustible nature of the scriptures and the unsearchable riches that are there. So to yeah. try to put a, uh, that there's a finite series. Anyway, I, I found that uh, kind of interesting. Oh, that's fun, a, funny, funny. That advice. is a good one. That is a good one. Okay. I, here's another one for me. Um, uh, it kind of goes along. It, it kind of goes along with what you had said. Um, hey, there's no need for you to write your own sermons. Like, don't reinvent the wheel. It's been done. So get just use the sermons of guys that have already written them and mm-hmm. have so much more experience than you, and just take them and and make them your own. And um, this was, you know, this was sh- shared with me by somebody who was who was actually. Found out later that's what they were, you know, that's what they were doing and modeling after uh, others. I mean, you have, you know, when you look back in the like the '90s, especially the church growth movement, uh, the secret sensitive movement. You have Rick Warren who's telling people just use, just preach my sermons, and so to granting <laughs> which that, is what I tell people all the time, yeah, which you tell people as well. But you know, but but Rick Warren's a little, you know, a little different. So um, I so I remember getting that, but no, man, just. Don't write your own sermons. It's it's that idea, kind of what you were talking about. Is uh, it's it's been done, right? Don't don't reinvent the wheel. You know, just use what others have done. And of course, that proved to be incredibly bad advice, I believe. So, mm. what about you? Another one for you? Okay, uh, you can't build a church on doctrine or preaching. Okay, uh, you have to build it on, around culture or music or programs or something like that. But yeah. if you try to build a church where the uh, main focus of the gathering or the life together is what you believe and, and, and what you preach and how you apply the word, mm. that you're doomed for failure. Huh. Uh, mm. So I was uh, I was told that quite uh, vehemently at, uh, on several different occasions. Yeah, no, I've, I've, that, I've heard that one as, as well. Here's one that came to my mind as you were sharing that one. Um, the key to growing a church is doing multiple services to cater to the musical styles of different generations. Right. And so um, I was a part of a couple of churches that had multiple services, and that was that's what drove the church. And and so the the idea is you can you can you grow the church by catering to the needs of mm. whatever the preferences right. of whatever everybody wants. And so, and of course I, I think I believe that's bad advice uh, because. I believe that what we're called to is to be all together as generations and compromise and not try to push our own agenda in that. But the body is supposed to be all together. We're not. We're supposed to take all of our different opinions and styles and things and mm. bring it all together and let us one, benefit yeah. as one. It's, but yeah. but I remember getting that advice in 
And man, that is there are there are churches all over the place. Still, not as prevalent as it was you know, twenty years ago. Yeah. But there are churches that real that do it that approach it this way and are seeing numeric growth because of it. But they're basically in many ways have two three different churches meeting at, on on Sunday. So. All right, another one for you? Yeah, uh, so I'm going to put this, Brian, in the context of, and this is going to go back if you're a, a younger listener. So, oh, Brian, how many years ago now? 20 years ago, there was the emerging church. There it's was about right, the, 20 there, years. Well, yep. there was what was called the emergent church. The emergent church, if I can try to explain these differences, there was the emergent church and the emerging church. So the emergent church said, that in order for the church to survive in the new century, we need to change its message. And the emerging church said, in order for the church to survive, we need to change all its methodology. Oh, okay. And, yep. and yep. that we can be faithful to the message, but all the method, basically all the methodology needs to change. And and I think some of that's open to debate, and there are things that you can, there may be some really good points being made, particularly to some who may be stuck in traditionalism and uh, and all of the rest. But this was the, you got a clean house of the, the old hymns, uh, the way you yeah. dress. Uh, right. You got to go from a reverent to a more folksy style. This is why a lot of churches look like theaters now instead of sanctuaries and uh, as they did in the past. And it was to cater to, it was the idea that, uh, and I can remember hearing a series of messages by a guy uh, whose whose own testimony uh, undermined what he was saying, because what he was saying is that nobody's going to come off the street and want to come into one of our churches and listen to a guy like me, you know, kind of a square, short hair, yeah. wearing a coat and tie, and listen to what I have to say about Jesus. Yep. But his testimony was he had been a hippy-dippy and gone into an independent fundamentalist King James-only church hmm. and heard the message and got saved. And it was like, well, you know what? Uh, you know, God's able to overcome those things. Sure. Again, I'm not saying be indifferent to proper contextualization, sure. yeah, but, but there was such an emphasis <clears throat> That if we will do this, if we will recontextualize either the message or the methods, if we will throw off uh, that all of that, that either the message or the methods are the hindrances to people coming to faith and being interested in the gospel. And I, 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 just, I thought, no, the problem's a lot deeper than that. You yeah. know, man's native hostility to God uh, is a far greater barrier. Uh, than anything that has to do with whether or not I wear a necktie. Uh, if I believed a necktie was a barrier to anybody coming into faith in Christ, I, you know, I, I, I would burn all of them. I, I don't necessarily like them, but you know, there's a reason I wear one when I teach and preach. Uh, at least you know on on, on the Lord's Day. Yeah. But uh, that's a whole other discussion. Uh, but I'm an old guy, you know. But uh, I thought that the the idea again, just that if we will come up with a series of contrivances, we'll change and we'll grow the church. And obviously, it happened in a couple of places where there was a lot of growth. And the thought was, and I'll get into this maybe another another one here in a minute. But if you do what we do, you replicate what we do, then your church will grow just like the our same church way. is growing. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I I, I want to acknowledge that contextualization, and I know you agree with this too. Contextualization is an important thing to think about yes. and evaluate. It's not the thing that truly 
uh, builds the church. It, and, and I think there's a difference between being mindful to contextualize and thinking contextualization is what will build the church. Yeah, and contextualization uh, very often is presented only as youth contextualization. Uh, right, sure. Uh, you know, rather than, well, okay, if I'm going to contextualize, why don't I, why can't I contextualize for the Lawrence Welk generation? Yeah. Nobody, again, using these references that nobody knows. Uh, it's okay. Uh, it's okay. Look it up. All the 60-year-olds um, listening to you right now just they're really like, felt, oh, thank you for saying that, connected yeah, They'll, they'll moment, connect. And, uh, eat, drink your Metamucil and get back to me later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, I got one. And this came from a really good man, like, like a really faithful man. And he and I just disagreed on some methodological approaches on some things. But um, he said to me that do not ever get in the way of a man's calling. And what he was referring to is he felt like we were basically talking about how to raise up pastors and in the in in the local church and training them and sending them out. And he was saying that he felt like it was it was um it was his responsibility to stay out of the way. Someone's calling into the ministry is between them and God and them and God only. Right. So nobody else should be involved with that. And don't you dare kind of get in the way of that. Don't question his lack don't, of gifts or his don't lack question of graces. His, that's or right. His... Like you, you do not have any authority to do that, and you do not want to get in the way. And so uh, the, he, he was very adamant about that, and he... Um, was just sharing with me how when a man feels called, it's between him and he and God, and yeah. that's all that should be determined. And I was making the argument. I mean, we couldn't have been on polar, you know, more polar opposites because I'm making the argument to him. Wait a minute, no, like it's it's right here. There, I mean, look at look at Acts 13. Like the the church was involved in mm. the raising up of of sending, you know. Saul and Barnabas, and anyways, it was an interesting discussion, but I remember him pushing me on, you know, you are getting in the way of men's callings, and I I just, I still to this day strongly disagree with with uh, with that advice that I was given. What about you, another one? All right, I got two couple, more. A couple more. All, All right. right, so one is that you need to uh, have your pulpit ready week by week to be altered by the events of the headlines. And that is to be so contemporary, so uh, on point with what people are hearing or talking about rather than text-driven to be event-driven. And and that is is both on the left and on the right. So a few years ago if you're not you know if if you didn't preach a sermon on racism the weekend after you know Ferguson or if you didn't uh you know call out you know if you just preached the next text or whatever or if you didn't or if you're not you know calling out the the government for you know, you know whatever the latest atrocity is their covid regulations or whatever and and making your stand on culture or on a contemporary issue rather than on gospel truth, then uh, people are going to, you know, they're, they're going to, you know, in some cases it happens, they abandon, they go to a, they go to a place that's going to tickle their itching ear. Uh, but the idea that always the pressure to, you have to be always ready to address the latest thing, have the hottest take, uh, rather than allowing time and meditation, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 perhaps again, as you work your way through the scriptures, you are going to address everything God wants you ad- to address 
in God's proportion. It's my conviction that as you give yourself yeah. to expository preaching. That's good. Let's each do one more, okay, before yeah. we wrap. So here's one. I'll, here's the last one I'll bring. And uh, people who know me will know this is going to be one that resonated with me. Um, you can adequately shepherd the flock by public preaching alone. Hmm. You can adequately shepherd the flock by public preaching alone. Hmm. And uh, I know I know why somebody would would try to convince me of right. that and give that advice because obviously public preaching is a is a big part of shepherding yeah, the huge. flock. But um, I certainly do not believe that alone is is adequate. Shepherding is is being you know with the sheep and shepherds smelling like sheep and being involved in right. their messy lives and yeah, like so I. I I know why it was shared, and obviously because the the, you know, the the preaching of the word is is shepherding the flock as a whole. That's why it's so important. But it is certainly not adequate alone to if you're truly going to shepherd souls and know individuals mm. and all those kinds of things. So I'll end with that one, Jim. What's one, what's one last? Yeah. One for you? Um, so I'm going I'm to phrase it this way, and I'll unpack it just a little bit. If you do everything right, you'll have wonderful fruit from your ministry. Oh yeah. You've and heard that it, that's been given to you. Oh, that, sure. Wow. You know, and, and, and I've I think probably early on I probably said it to some others. You know that if you huh. if you commit yourself to be a godly man who loves your flock well and you preach well, then things are going to go well. You know, as a result of that. I, I, I in fact, Brian, at one point, you know, I even had the uh, I had the idea in my mind that if I could really. If I could feed my flock well and love them well, be invested in them, tether you know tether myself to them, uh, that you know people would never leave disgruntled, never leave angry because we could talk it out, we could work it out, and love's going to conquer okay. all. And okay, and that's very ideal. And and yeah, that probably should work. But the reality is that good and faithful men. Uh, you know the last the last day. We, I think as we've said this before. You know, there's going to be some surprises on the last day. At good and faithful men who labored hard, who did not grow weary in well doing, and who did all of that while having very little visible fruit. And as their churches didn't grow, they didn't see a lot of conversions, uh, and yet uh, they were godly. They were faithful. They loved well. They prayed well. They lived well. Yeah. Uh, and they have the smile and blessing of God. But you know, again, my thought was, well, you know, we're just going to grow. People get converted. People aren't going to leave mad like they do at other churches. Cause some of those other pastors just don't know how to love as well as I know how to love, you know, whatever it was I had in my head. Yeah. Uh, and the Lord, uh, humbled, uh, me in that, uh, rather painfully. It's good. Well, as we wrap this episode, it's just kind of a final word for me on this, and then I'm going to ask you to pray. And that's as I'm listening to us go back and forth, I, I'm aware once again, and I've been aware of this through the years, on how much the the bad ad- advice uh, helped shaped mm. my convictions and even passions for what I am called to. Mm. Uh, so I just want to put that out there because I spent. I spent eight years doing associate pastor work at church before I went to Auburndale. And all of them were in different ways, just unhealthy. They were dysfunctional. They were, you know, they were they were not caring for people well in the way they were doing ministry. Yeah. And I remember struggling in those years, even just after, like, God, why was that the path you had for me? I yeah. mean, and and questioning that and even even frustrated with it at times. And as I looked back years later, I started to realize, man, God used those years. Mm-hmm. One, He protected me from 
taking some of this bad advice, believing some of these false doctrines I was even taught, and he used them to say, no, no, it not only resonates truth-wise, it doesn't resonate, but it also, I see the harm it brings people mm. in the midst of ministry. And those things began to just shape me, and it really led to some of my, the things I'm most passionate about in doing ministry and, and why why I would do them. So I put that out there because I, I want people to hear, I think a lot of times we have a hard time. We went, we served at a hard church. Where was God in that? You know, I had a bad mentor or got got bad advice here. Right. I even listened to it for a little bit. Right. But where where is God in all that? And I just want to put that in the in the in the mysterious providence of God. God's working in all the bad advice, all the hard situations, and just realize you're being shaped by it. And so, Jim, we take a minute and pray. I think for for others who are listening to this, whatever this is kind of activated in people, yeah. uh, that that they would just realize the sovereign providence of God is at work in all of these things sure. to make us who we're supposed to be. Okay. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this time to have this conversation and even to just reflect on your own goodness and helping us and keeping us. Uh, we are all influenced by others, and we all have those in our lives uh, who have had an impact on us for good and ill. Uh, Heavenly Father, we grieve perhaps most of the times where we have had uh, a bad influence on others with bad advice. But Father, we thank you for your sovereignty over our lives, for those things that have come into our ears, into our hearts, into our minds, and for the ability to have your word as a touchstone and guidestone to lead us uh, where we ought to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.